Welcome to A Million Baptist Podcast, where we discuss church life, theological questions, and cultural influences. Our podcasts are available via Google, Spotify, Apple, and many other podcast platforms. We hope you subscribe and enjoy today's episode. Well, welcome everybody to our Friday Roundtable. We're very glad that you're joining us today. As always, uh, these are available on YouTube, Spotify, all of our streaming platforms, uh, podcast streaming platforms there. And we're grateful that you choose to tune in a little bit each week with us um, as we discuss uh, current cultural issues, um, uh, stuff that's going on in the life of our church, um, in the life of um, you know the church in, in broader beyond uh, here at Amelia Baptist. And then uh, as we bring in guests and stuff, uh, so we thank you for tuning in. Uh, today, we are going to do something fun that I've actually wanted to do on a roundtable for a while, and that is uh, most people know you as having pastored here for many, many years, but a lot of people don't know a lot about uh, your life before coming to Amelia Island and uh, coming to pastor here at Amelia Baptist. So today, we're going to dive in a little bit and learn uh, more about Neil Helton instead of Pastor Neil Helton. Um, there and just learn how God brought you to this, uh, the place that you are today. So, uh, thanks, Pastor Neil, for having this conversation with us. Well, I'm glad to be here. Uh, we need to have a preface before we get started because since the subject matter is me, um, let's remember that God's grace is the one who move is 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 what moves in our lives mm. toward Him. Yes whether it is before salvation, at salvation, or even since we came to know the Lord. So even though a lot of this is going to be about me, 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 it's really, I hope that it comes across that this is a movement of God's grace in one's life. Mm -hmm. And God's grace moves differently in different people's lives, but ultimately to bring us to Him so that we may be more like Him. Yes. And my hope is that people see that in your life and um, able to take uh, the wisdom you've gained over the years uh, from, uh, you know, the good times and then the hard times in life and then apply it to their lives as uh, they seek to follow God's calling for them. Well, we'll see how that folds out. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So um, so tell us a little bit about when you were first called into ministry here. Um, when God gave you that, you know, the prompting and the, the call to go, uh, beyond a secular, uh, uh, direction of, um, life and into Christian ministry. Well, I have to say that, um, my call to ministry was not a Damascus experience Mm -hmm. where God just knocked me off, you know, my donkey. Right. Right. (laughs) And said, I'm going to make you suffer for me. It really wasn't like that. Um, my grandmother, who raised me all my life, made sure I was at church. Mm-hmm. So, Dylan, I can't remember a time in my life that the church family and the community of faith was not a part of my life. And one of the things that I remember mostly is that we had a great uh, worship and music uh, environment in our church. So. As a preschooler, I remember being up on stage in the sunbeams Mm -hmm. and uh, singing preschool songs. Yeah. And I remember as we grew up, we went into children's. We'd go to children's camp and go to vacation Bible school. And and again, I was on stage. Mm -hmm. 
Then in youth, I was in the youth choir. Uh, we'd go to youth camps. Uh, we would go to large events where we'd be part of large choirs and things of that nature. So again, music was always a part of my life and most all of it was sacred music yeah. and uh, church music. The, uh, so this, this sounds very uneventful, but when I was about 18 years old in my senior year, we had a minister of music at our church and he was our youth minister as well. And, um, uh, as, as you know, I, I, I was fortunate to have my grandmother to raise me mm -hmm. and then also, uh, my uncle, yeah. uh, who was there, but the, the male that had a lot of influence on me in this was our minister of youth and minister of music. Mm -hmm. And he was redheaded, freckle faced. So I wanted to be like him, right? Yeah, right. So uh, he could do everything. He played basketball with us. He played volleyball with us. He just impacted my life. And I know this sounds very um, human, but I saw the kind of influence he was having on me and how he used music. And I loved music. I played the piano, the guitar, sang. I just, God used him as a personification that I want to be like that. Mm -hmm. So whether that was a God call or not, again, God used him as a grace to get me to a Christian college yeah. to make sure that I didn't get off track. Right. And I think a lot of times when we say uh, God's calling on our lives, a lot of times he uses those around us to give us a call, even sometimes when we don't realize it, you know, we look back later and like, okay, we can see God moving in this That's you right. know, direction. God does there. use other people to do that. Yeah. And uh, then while I was at college, uh, to kind of move into, uh, you know, what was I going to major in? Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to major in sacred music. Right. I mean, uh, that was like a no brainer. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a minister of music. Then something happened to me again. Uh, I believe it's God's grace, God called. I was going to a church, and this church had long invitations. Right. Uh, but it wasn't just for salvation. It was prayer altars. Mm -hmm. And so I remember at one of those uh, evenings that I was just really burdened about my life, um, where it was going. My life really wasn't consistent with what my thought or my call was. And also not having a mother or father because they had died, not having any brothers or sisters Though I have always been loved, I always had an identity issue. Mm -hmm. I, all my friends had mom and dads. <clears throat> all my cousins had mom and dads. The people that I would go visit, they had mom and dads, and I didn't. So I was going through an identity crisis at some point. And uh, I remember going down with my uh, Bible at the altar with the, in, with the intent saying, Lord, I need for you to speak to me. And I know this is like not theologically sound, but God uses and works in mysterious yeah. ways. And I, and I just opened my Bible and I just decided I was going to start reading and say, God, what do you have for me? Mm -hmm. And it was Jeremiah chapter one. And what I needed to hear at that point is when God told Jeremiah, I formed you, I knew you, and I consecrated you for my work. Yeah. That was one of the most affirming moments in my life where I was never, I, I was never able to look back and second guess right. what God's I was calling. moving toward. Mm -hmm. And it was also a moment where I felt like music was not simply going to be the end of my, of my tenure in, yeah. in ministry. So I felt that that was God's call, not to be a prophet, not to go around pointing my finger at people, but to be a minister of the word, whatever that meant. 
Right. And that particular pastor gave me some of my first preaching opportunities, which I listened to on cassette tape, and it was awful. <laughs> but he was so... You got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> he, he was so patient, you know, and the, and the congregation was so patient. But that was the beginning of me moving from music into uh, more preaching of the Word. Yeah, call, call to preach the Word. Yeah. Now, um, I think a lot of people don't know that you had a, uh, some opportunities to use your musical skills um, for evangelism and, and other posi- you know, positions. That's right. And then also, that has, it's an integral part of where you met Miss Pam. Oh, that is exactly um, right. And so give us a little bit of that history there of uh, where God used your mu- musical skills and then uh, how you came to meet Miss Pam. Well, here I am, uh, you know, walking to get my diploma. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, it's toward the uh, end of the spring going into the summer and I'm like a lot of college students now what do I do right I have no idea what to do and a friend of mine was a great pianist and he had already been uh, secured by a an evangelist who um, he was he was Southern Baptist evangelist uh, and for the summer he was going to be playing the piano and he said we're looking for a Christian folk singer and he knew I played uh, the guitar and the same Christian music right. uh, because a lot of the work that I'd done there in college was youth music and leading events and things of that nature. So I started traveling with uh, the Bill Sauer Evangelist Association. And it was during our very first crusade that um, uh, Tim and I wound up in Madisonville, Kentucky, where Pam Rudd lived who I never met, and she became our ride. She was working for the local Baptist Association. She was the youth minister for the association. And our job bef- the week before the crusade was to go to the different churches mm-hmm. and to promote the crusade by the Southern Baptist Association at that point and uh, go to the youth ministry opportunities as well. And Pam was the one who took us there. And um, uh, to put it mildly, she and I did not like each other at the very beginning. Uh, to me, she was too strong-willed for, this shows you what a male chauvinist I was, you know, that, that women are not supposed to be leaders. And so um, I, we didn't get along. However, it didn't take me long to see that I had been missing something in my own personal life Mm-hmm. by looking at her discipline, to look at her resolve, to her, to her focus in ministry. And in, uh, in my relationships in the past, I had been missing that, and perhaps the person that I was with may have been missing that. And so I started focusing on what my life could be, mm-hmm. and God used Pam to show me that. Yeah. And uh, I think anybody that's looked at y'all's ministry that God has done through y'all's marriage since then can see that, you know, together, um, God's worked through you to, um, increase that ministry through that. So it's kind of neat to see that even when it was you, great. even when you don't think, you know, that this is, uh, right. going to work out and then God, well, for almost doors, two so. years, I kept going back to Kentucky Yeah, <laughs> until she finally said yes. Yeah. Well, that's great. Now, um, so I know 
you know, you were then called, like you said, to, to move into more of a preaching, you know, wanting to get into more preaching, uh, God's word. That's right. And so you went to seminary and during that time, uh, you had an opportunity with Miss Pam to do ministry, right? At a, uh, a church there as a music minister. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's interesting that I've, I felt like I wanted to go into preaching, but uh, in my senior year, when I felt that, a uh, guidance counselor who really was a godly person, I said, I want to change my major to religion. And he wisely said, Neil, you've invested too much time into music. And you will find that with your music degree, you can minister in churches while you're getting your seminary degree that will prepare you to preach. Mm -hmm. And so I kept my major as a sacred music major, then became a minor in religion so that while I was at seminary, uh, Pam and I, very unusual back in the 70s that a church would hire a woman to be on staff, mm -hmm. um, but they hired us together yeah. as joint ministers of music. Which also was, as we've talked, unique that uh, a husband and wife both in ministry on the yeah, same that's staff. Right. So there. it's great. So. I mean, we got married in uh, June of 1975, and by September of 75, we were already in ministry together. It yeah. was great. Yeah. And y'all have been in ministry since. Yeah, so. we have. <laughs> we have. That's great. Um, so while you were at seminary there, um, you had quite an experience that I would say, uh, drastically changed your life and changed your perspective on ministry. And right. you've mentioned it a lot. I know for those who come here, um, and they've heard, heard the story, but tell us a little bit about that experience, uh, what God did in your heart there. And then, um, you know, so I know there's one professor specifically that really had an impact in shaping your ministry going forward uh, while you were at seminary there. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, the reason I uh, repeated the way that I was in church through preschool, children, youth, and then also even in college, even in college, I had been a part-time minister of music or, or a part-time youth minister, but I was always in front of people. So from the very early stages of my thinking about ministry, it was always being in front. And I don't really mean this in any negative way, but my persona, my persona of music was performance driven. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's just the way it was. I mean, any of the music that you saw back in the 60s and 70s uh, or the, the quartets and the solos, it was always on stage. And that's the way I equated music ministry. So while I was at seminary, um, I was in a, a class uh, by Dr. Reginald Barnard, who was an Australian who was educated at Spurgeon's College in England before he came over here. So he had a whole different perspective of still conservative, biblically based but his expressions were not colloquial. They weren't mm -hmm. Southern, like what I was used to. You know how you get used to certain words and you don't really decipher what those words mean. mean. Yeah. You just use them. Right. Right. Well, he didn't use the same vernacular uh -huh. of things and therefore it made you think about things. So in this class on the atonement, he made us focus for a whole quarter. This was a quarterly system at seminary, not on our sacrifices mm -hmm. in ministry or our call or did I accept Christ? It was never about me. And of course, in evangelism, it's always eliciting or soliciting a response right. from people. 
it was all about what did my salvation cost God? Mm-hmm. I'd never thought in those terms. Yes, Jesus died for my sins, but again, that's we say that all right. the time. You hear that you, since you were <laughs> ever three since years I was old. in preschool, yeah. and we say that here, and our kids, uh, you know, hear that. Mm-hmm. We have no concept of the the physical torture and uh, pain of what Jesus Christ went, but that isn't where Doctor Barnard stayed. He stayed with the eternal suffering, yeah, because Jesus was still part of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. And part of the, uh, the expansion is the more conscious one is, the, the deeper the pain. Yeah. So um, uh, it, how do you measure the eternal consciousness of God? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's impossible to right. fathom. And so while Christ is on the cross, the Father is sonless and the Son is fatherless, so mm-hmm. to speak. He is suffering not just the physical pain, but the spiritual pain and the penalty of all of our sin mm-hmm. was upon him in those hours. And it, I don't know how to use the words, it had an effect on the Godhead that crushed me. Mm-hmm. So I can't, I can't recall it without, you know, coming to tears. Um, it just never occurred to me the price that God paid uh, on Christ on the cross. Mm-hmm. And I just bowed my head in those few moments. I said, God, how did I miss that? How did I miss this from preschool through college, through evangelism, mm-hmm. and up to that point in seminary that Christianity was about ministry and still focused on my ability to produce instead of resting in what God had produced eternal life by the one who is the source of all life experiencing death in the Godhead. Mm -hmm. That shook me to my core. And uh, I've never gotten over it, ever. Mm -hmm. So I got real serious. Yeah, I got so serious that um, I didn't want to be in front of people as a minister of music waving my arms trying to jack people up to feel spiritual enough to hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. Okay, I know that sounds very secular, but in retrospect, it feels that way, that my job as a minister of music was to get people to want to come down the aisle Mm -hmm. when the gospel is preached. And I didn't want to do that anymore because I came to the realization that grace is a work of God. It's not a work of me. Right. And it's not, it's not something that we produce from the stage. It's something that the Holy Spirit uh, produces when the gospel is um, presented the way that the scriptures present it. Mm-hmm. And so I became so serious. Years, years later, Dylan... I went back to the seminary and I was talking to one of the professors there and uh, I was talking with him and he said, you know, Neil, we noticed that something happened to you Hmm. and we worried. We're afraid that you had lost your call. And he was serious and he was being loving. Mm -hmm. But that's sometimes the way that we depict the call is 
our excitement in performing from the stage okay. for the glory of God. And things just became so weighty for me mm -hmm. that I just didn't want to be a performer yeah. anymore. Yeah, and in a way, you probably say that's where you saw God's call the that's, clearest. That's right. As everything there. before that was God's grace leading me to that point. Mm -hmm. I don't see all the my my, my coming forward at uh, seven or my surrender at seventeen and my college education. I don't look at that as any faking. I don't look at it as being hypocritical. I believe that it was God's hand saying, I, I have a journey mm -hmm. for you. And, and at 24, everything is going to change for you. And it did. Yeah. Um, you, we were talking about before, uh, uh, Dr. Barnard, uh, never actually published any of his works. And you said that, um, he's, he said something to you when you asked him about, uh, you know, all this wisdom that he had, yeah. uh, why did he, he publish it? And I think it's a, it's really neat, his perspective on that. So yeah. what, what did he tell you, um, there when you asked him about, well, it had such a profound effect on me personally that I said, Dr. Barnard, I want to do my doctorate here. In other words, I want to continue to study under you. And you know what he did? Sent you somewhere else. Right? Yeah. He said, no. <laughs> He said, the world is out there, and God has his hand on you out there. You don't need to stay here. And you know what else happened? We had been at the same church. Brother uh, Bill George is still one of my very closest friends mm -hmm. in Tallahassee, in uh, Tennessee. And that's the church that we were at. And so I had two mentors. I had a theological mentor, and I had a pastoral mentor. Mm -hmm. And independently, without talking to each other, they both said, Neil, you have to leave. Mm -hmm. the, Bill George said, Neil, God's called you to preach. You don't need to be in my minister of music anymore. I'd love for you to be here. Right. We had one of the best staff relationships that I ever, you know, that I could have ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he's the one who mentored me on how to treat staff mm -hmm. and to have a loving, you know, relationship, a, a relationship with, a with a staff. And then Dr. Barnard said, no, you have to go learn out there because that's where your ministry is. And so I said, then where are your books? I've got to carry your books. Yeah. And, uh, and so what I have here are just his notes mm -hmm. from the courses, like uh, the concept of eternity. He's the one who introduced me that eternity is not about the length that we're in heaven. It's about the relationship of the life of God that starts here. Mm -hmm. And then we live in the life and the light of Jesus Christ for eternity. Yeah. Never thought of that before. Mm -hmm. um, the study of church history, um, ethics, what is, what is ethics? Um, how to think theologically. Mm -hmm. And what that came out to, which is my favorite one, is called That One Face. It's his, and it's the thickest of all his stuff. It's on Christology. Yeah. So it's a Christ-centered approach. The notes from that changed my life called Despising the Shame, which is taken from the scriptures, how he, he despised the shame in looking forward. Yeah. This is the one on the atonement. This is where I kind of dwell yeah. because this is what God used, grace, to change my understanding of the cross. Yeah. And then he said, Neil, I'm not going to publish anything. He said... I'm not going to write epistles because you are 
my epistle. And what he meant by that is that every student that would sit under him, he invested his life so deeply and fully that he knew that we were going to be the next generation to share the profound understanding of atonement and Christology. And nearly all of the, uh, we call ourselves the Barnardites, all of us have had meaningful ministries. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, his, because he is, his thoughts and heart, you know, yeah. lived in us. Well, I mean, that's an amazing testimony to his life, honestly. And, you know, the fact that he could have probably been famous for his writings. He was and a his, great writer. You know, uh, and thought process there, but he chose to, you know, invest in his students there and see y'all as his uh, ministry and mission field. So yeah, I think right. that's really neat there. Now, um, you kind of hinted that he uh, he told you you needed to move on yeah. uh, from there, <laughs> um, but you actually moved on and went into a, a secular institution there to get uh, further education. You felt God calling you towards that. Western Kentucky uh, University. Yeah. Um, and then you ended up getting a PhD uh, there. At Florida State. At I know Florida that's State. hard for you to say uh, yeah. at Florida State University. Um, so we won't, we won't hold that against <laughs> you there. But uh, what, what gave you that calling to move? Uh, you know, you had done seminary yeah. um, and you had felt like you were called to preach God's word. And right. then you go into a secular institution. What gave you that call to a secular institution there? Well, you know, here, all right, here's the way that works out, to be quite honest. While we were at seminary, uh, we would have chapel nearly every day, mm -hmm. uh, four days a week. Mondays were off, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Every Friday, there was a missionary who would speak because at the seminary, missions was a thing. Um, the president would always tell us that, um, you know, the question that people ask is, if you don't know Christ, um, you know, are you saved? And his response was, if you don't go tell them, are you saved? Mm -hmm. I mean, missions was at the heart. So I, uh, I just wanted to be a pastor at Biggie Baptist somewhere. Yeah. And so it was getting ready for a seminary, I mean, for chapel. And uh, I walked into that chapel knowing that there was going to be a missionary speaking and again, I had one of those experiences like I had in that atonement class. God crushed me before the missionary ever spoke. And I have no idea who he was. And I have no idea what he spoke on. Mm -hmm. All I know is that during that half hour, God said, Neil, you're being prideful and arrogant and overly ambitious to be the pastor of Biggie Baptist. Mm -hmm. I want you to go anywhere. I want you to do anything that I call you to do. And, uh, and that day I went forward, uh, never done it before. It was toward the end of my three years there. And God said, I want you to be willing to go to the Congo anywhere. Mm -hmm. So, and of all things, the, the, the professor who came up and laid his hands on me to pray for me was the professor that I disliked the most, <laughs> if I'm allowed to say yeah. that. Because um, he and I didn't agree on hardly anything. Right. 
But he saw something that happened to me that he wanted to pray. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that have? To, what does that have to do then with secular education? Well, God immediately began to work in my life. Said, Neil, I don't want you to start a church overseas. I want you to teach. And the goal at that point, the Berlin Wall was still up. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, they hadn't taken down the wall yet. And so we had people in communist countries where missionaries were not allowed to teach at universities. Mm-hmm. And that was the only way to go to the uttermost part of the of the world uh, in first world countries like East Berlin mm-hmm. or Yugoslavia or whatever it, it might be. And so I immediately wanted to go and get a secular education so that I would be academically qualified to teach without saying all I have is a seminary degree right and as I was doing those type of studies if God was going to close the door to go over there then the other place I wanted to be was a voice an evangelical voice in a secular environment for the very same reasons Mm -hmm. and that was to have an open dialogue where Christianity could be heard so that was really the, the change going from sectarian schools mm-hmm. to uh, secular schools. Mm-hmm. Now, I did wind up going to Southeastern Seminary because I was told that the reason that I was going to have difficulty going with the Foreign Mission Board at that time is because I didn't have a Southern Baptist degree because my first degree was, my first uh, MDiv was not a Southern Baptist uh, degree. And so I did another stint at another seminary so that I would be qualified to do that. Mm-hmm. So thus the reason for another seminary degree. Yeah. But ultimately, the, the Foreign Mission Board said, Neil, we're not going to accept you where you are because you have ambitions to get a doctorate, and you need to go get your doctorate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so that's the reason then my face was turned toward getting... Uh, a secular degree. Yeah. And and God used that to allow you to teach Ashley in some secular institution uh, there. And then also you were able to go overseas and teach a little bit there too. Um, tell us a little bit about the experience of about being a believer and teaching. Uh, you taught humanities and philosophy right. uh, in a secular institution. Tell us a little bit about uh, that experience. The... Um, uh, after I got through with my um, preliminaries and my coursework, uh, Pam and I moved back to Kentucky for me to be close to Southern Seminary because they had the best library and the internet was not really in vogue, vogue at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to be close to a library where I could do my studies. And while I was there, um, God allowed me to teach Introduction to Philosophy and Introduction to Ethics in the local community college. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, when I talked to the vice president, who was the, vo- the, the uh, provost, uh, he understood what my call was, but he also trusted me that I wasn't going to use my station to proselyte, but to engage students, perhaps, into understanding that there are different worldviews other than just a secular worldview. Mm-hmm. And so during the two years that I was there, I was able to teach in that environment and found it very um, 
fulfilling and purposeful. Uh, one of the things that I learned there and then I brought here because the church was very gracious in letting me teach here at uh, the community college was that when I introduced myself, I would uh, remind the students that we all came from different backgrounds and that we can't separate ourselves from our backgrounds or what we've been taught up to this time. And that I didn't want anyone to think that I was gonna be underhanded or once they found out that I was a pastor of a church or a minister that I was gonna somehow sneak things in. And so I told them up front, this is who I am. Um, and uh, that my, every professor has an agenda. Mm -hmm. if, if a professor would say we're totally open-minded here and that we're, you know, that I don't have an agenda, I would tell my students don't believe that yeah. because they're there for a reason. So I told them, I said, I am here for us to have an open dialogue about mm -hmm. worldviews and about philosophical positions, but you're going to know mine and you're not going to be graded on agreeing with me, but you're going to be graded on your ability because this was the purpose of the course to understand your thoughts, your thinking, the content and how you express it on paper and in, uh, in conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I had many students who were atheists or agnostics to, to blow the socks off of professing Christians because they saw that as an intellectual challenge, which is exactly what I wanted. And some of the believers, they thought because I was a Christian that I'm going to give them a, a, good, a pass. Yeah, good gravy. You know, because we believe right. the same things. And they were horrified when they would get their, mm -hmm. uh, you know, their grades. And so um, that's, I just tried to be very honest yeah. about that. Yeah. I'm sure it opened a lot of opportunities to, to uh, invest in different people's lives uh, from a different, different point of view, different perspective than as you could in a church. As long as they could ask questions, I got yeah. permission from whatever authorities were there that if they ask a question and if it's out of class, then uh, I can share more personal things. So you were, you were headed one direction. Um, and you know, I know we've talked before about this, that you, you had been on staff at, uh, you know, a couple churches and you just never felt that you were going to be a, you know, a pastor at a church again, that you were going to go into teaching there. Yeah. Um, but then you ended up at Amelia Baptist for over 30 years. So how did God uh, <laughs> change your heart and your, and your mind and bring you here? Uh, to this church yeah. um, and the ministry that he's placed you in here for so long? Well, during college, I already shared that I've been part-time in different staff positions and uh, they're in seminary minister of music. And I knew that I was going to go into some kind of uh, preaching and teaching, but with the goal of ultimately uh, being more in the academic world, mm -hmm. the, uh, when, uh, I was at Western Kentucky University uh, in order to survive financially. Um, I really did enjoy a call for two years in a very small country church. Mm -hmm. Loved the people, and they were very gracious to me. Um, so, you know, that was okay, but I knew that was only for a short time. While I was at Florida State University, about uh, 30 miles outside of Tallahassee, I was at another country church, Indian Springs Baptist Church, fifth oldest Southern Baptist Church in the state of Florida. We met in a building that was built in the 1850s, and the pews were very uncomfortable, so people really encouraged me to have short sermons. <laughs> <laughs> 
But anyway, I was there for five years. Uh-huh. While we were there in um, 1988, Jim Hamrick, mm-hmm. the former uh, associational missionary, came to me, and I had known him when he was in Jacksonville. He came to me and he says, Neil, we're going to start a church in, uh, on Amelia Island, and I believe that you're supposed to be the pastor of that church. And I said, you got the wrong guy. I said, my goal, I've been in education uh, in the academic world for, I don't know, at that point, 12 years. And it wasn't to pastor a church. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anything to sidetrack me from what I thought that I was supposed to do. And I said, and besides that, I don't know anything about church starts. Um, I'm just the wrong guy. You don't want me there. So later that year is when we moved to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time, I was teaching philosophy and ethics and things of that nature and writing my dissertation. And it was during those two years from 88 to 90 that um, I got another phone call from Brother Hamrick. And Brother Hamrick said, well, we started the church. And you're going to be getting a phone call from the, uh, uh, the head of the search committee. They've been looking for a year. For someone and they hadn't been able to find anybody and um, the interesting thing that took place in those two years is that while I was writing my dissertation I was also applying diff- different teaching positions around uh, the United States and everything was a no mm-hmm. and uh, Pam was ill with uh, her pregnancy with uh, Brittany and so um, God closing all the doors for me to be fully employed so that she didn't have to be in her uh, medical condition at that time and being a bit new mom later. I was at my wit's end. Mm-hmm. And um, then I got this one phone call. It was like Paul got uh, in Acts chapter yeah. 16 where he had planned out his life. He had planned out where he was going to go. Mm-hmm. And God said, no. You can't go there. And then Paul tried something else, and God said, no, you can't go there. And then he had that, that dream or vision of someone in Macedonia and Philippi mm-hmm. that uh, said, we need to hear the gospel there. And that's what that phone call was for me. And I don't know if uh, how Paul felt about having his plans changed. I was... Uh, uh, ambivalence is actually a good word. It means you struggle on either side. Yeah. Uh, do I go or I don't right. go? Is this right or is this wrong? I don't know. Pam, after she heard the phone call, as sick as she was, she said, Neil, I believe this is of the Lord. Well, I wasn't convinced because that meant I had to turn away from, at that point, uh, 12 years or more. Of being dedicated to go in one direction. One direction, yeah. And um, it was just a God call. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it was. I was sorrowful mm-hmm. that it was. You know, when you know God's call, it doesn't always mean that you're happy clappy right. about it. Yeah. Um, because I had to die. Mm-hmm. I had to die to my dream. I had to die to my vision of why God was calling me and shaping my life. And um, that was over 30, you know, 30 years ago. Here's what I can say, Dylan. 
Paul, in retrospect, counted the church in Macedonia and Philippi his greatest joy. Mm-hmm. And I can say that being here at Amelia Baptist Church, outside my family, my wife, my children, has been my greatest joy. Yeah. And I'm so glad that God rocked all the plans. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I th- had. And I think it's neat, you know, coming about around to what we were talking about calling. Um, and I think it's neat that a lot of people are like, well, how, how will I know God's calling on my life? And, you know, as we f- follow the Lord, um, I think he makes it, it clear and he, at times he closes and makes it, you know, very obvious the direction he has for us, even if it's not what our plan was. And I think that's an encouraging note for people who are struggling with that, you know, yeah. that, well, I really thought I was going this direction. It just doesn't seem to be working out the way I plan that just because it's not worth working out doesn't mean that God's not opening um, or showing you the direction that he really wants you to go. Sometimes Um, in order for us to go through the open door, he has to close every other door. mm -hmm. It would have been much harder to know God's will if all the doors would have opened. Yeah. Uh, An anecdote to this six weeks after I said yes. And six weeks after we moved here and we were, Uh, living uh, in a condo while our house was being built here, I got a phone call from the uh, department head of a philosophy and religion department in South Carolina (laughs) who asked me uh, to send him a resume because his philosophy guy was going to be retiring Uh uh, in the following year. And um, Pam and I have had a conviction for very many decades that... um, when you make your first commitment, uh, you know, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Mm-hmm. And so I think God just kind of threw that out there to put that last thing in the ground in the grave. Right. That I said, I am so sorry, <laughs> but I've committed myself yeah. to 18 people right. <laughs> to start a mission and a church called Amelia Baptist yeah. Church. Well, I'm very grateful that y'all came here and, uh, uh, you know, we started coming here when I was one and a half and, um, uh, this has been my home and y'all have been a, a great part of my family, uh, through that time. So God knew what he was doing. Well, you're part of that. that joy, yeah. you know, that I, Thank that you. I spoke of and, and to your question about people struggling with a call, uh, if, you know, if a young man comes to me, um, and asks, you know, um, should I go into the ministry or not? Uh, I really do, not with any animosity or criticalness, try to talk them out of it. Um, it really can be a very difficult and hard time. Mm-hmm. And there have been times, as much as joy has been here, that I've uh, been tempted to, and sometimes maybe I have let go of the call, and then God's call would not let go of mm-hmm. me. There were times I said, Lord, am, am I supposed to stay here? And he never gave me permission. Right. He always held on. So it's not only just a call to ministry. It's a call where you are. Right. And um, I'm a firm believer that there are people who have gone into ministry that were talked into it that mm-hmm. that are so struggling that they, they may have been more effective in ministry if they hadn't been paid in a professional. But the other thing that I know is this, that if God has his call on you, I cannot talk Talk you out out of it it. yeah and that has been true through the decades 
Well, thank you, Pashnail. This has been uh, really neat to hear how God has worked in your life um, over the years. And I hope that this is an encouragement to uh, people who listen, uh, who, you know, some might be considering whether to go into ministry um, and really their direction in life and uh, how God works. And, and I think that hearing your story um, opens a different perspective because, you know, a lot of what we have seen has been here uh, over the last 30 years, you ministering. But a lot of people don't know uh, what happened before and brought you to that point. So thanks for being willing to share some of that with us today. It's a great journey of grace. Yeah. And uh, that's that's where we started. That's where we need to end because no journey is going to look alike and no one should say, well, I wonder, you know, my call wasn't like John Piper's and my mm-hmm. call wasn't like, you know, Rick Warren's or, or anybody else that I know. And I hope that this story just shows you that uh, and others that if you walk with the Lord, if you just listen and um, and you're pliable and you're faithful, that ultimately his his call of grace and ministry will be clear. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Pastor Neil. Thank, thank you, you for tuning in with us uh, this Friday, and we look forward to seeing you next Friday as we continue our roundtables uh, and our discussions here. So, God bless. Thanks. Thanks.